Hello, hello, humans. This is a live recording of podcast episode number 209. If you haven't listened to the one before this, um, I highly recommend it. It is an excerpt from my friend, client, and colleague, um, Cindy Ingram's book. And I know that it will touch your heart. Here we are today. I am, I feel like a little kid getting back on a bicycle after wobbling. Um, Obviously, it's been a while since I've podcasted, a couple of months. Excuse me. And so today's episode is about bug soup. And I'm also going to give you some updates. It'll be a shorter one. And I'm looking forward to getting back gently into the swing of things. I'm not promising any routine, and I'll share why in a little bit. So first thing I want to talk about is this concept of bug soup. And so many people I know are in the thick of bug soup. And I first heard that term probably in 2011, 12 from Martha Beck. And bug soup, she uses the metaphor of the butterfly or moth metamorphosis, right? From caterpillar to chrysalis um, to breaking out of the chrysalis to butterfly. And she talks about the phase of when the caterpillar turns into the my gosh Allison where are the words when the caterpillar um, makes its chrysalis and she says it doesn't just lay there all cozy that the caterpillar actually disintegrates and and devolves and physically materially turns into a ooey gooey mess before it regenerates into the butterflies that bless us all. And she uses that as a metaphor for a stage of creation and a stage of life. Who else is in or has been in bug soup? I raise my hand. I have been in bug soup for quite some time. I feel like Extra stresses have been going on in my life outside of work for two years. And Bill and I just kind of laugh and cry and laugh. It feels like whack-a-mole with the combination um, kids, parents, our own health issues, um, just various things, you know, things on our house breaking and it costing $6,000 to replace on a practically brand new house. And it, um, you know, it's, it is just life. And um, then we have all the things that are going on in the culture around us, in the economy around us, in the world around us. And so I just want to acknowledge I just want to acknowledge the humanity of seasons of bug soup, no matter what causes them. And my personal journey the last few months in 
in April, I made some decisions, some radical decisions about shifting my business, taking care of my mental health, about realigning my work. And it was one of those things very much kind of like the caterpillar and the butterfly. Like it just doesn't go from caterpillar to butterfly. Um, The caterpillar made those decisions knowing that there would be butterfly wings on the horizon. And June, July, August, September, and October have been a bug soup shit show in the best and worst ways. I'm really proud in what I want for humanity is to trust ourselves, to learn the skills of trusting ourselves. And I personally believe that we've actually been trained to do the opposite. And so when someone says, trust yourself, what does that mean? And, and I have some answers around that and I'll be talking about it. So, um, Let me take a breath and see. So bug soup. I just want to encourage you if you're in bug soup. And isn't it funny? The things we do to try to rationalize like, oh, after this full moon or after my birthday or after this, like like we can control bug soup. And I think that's a, a disservice of the personal growth industry that is always like, that's always like telling you, you can control it. And sometimes... Not sometimes. There, I mean, there there are just times when life will do to you what she needs to do. And that involves dissolving parts of your being, dissolving your attempts at control, dissolving your trying. And as much as we like to think that we are here and in control, And there's a lot of things we can quote, you know, they say you can control your response. My gosh, when I think of that phrase, what automatically comes to mind historically, at least in me and in my world, is this hard response of of, uh, tinged with strive and drive and shame and fight and grit. And I also want to make room for, I'm not saying that that's always wrong. I just also want to make make room for this concept I've talked about in my book. I have the little sticker that says, be soft with the hard. And a lot of the work I'm doing with my clients these days is my clients have hit the limit of how being hard on themselves is just not going to work anymore. And so it's about being soft. And I've had to do that. And as I dissolve, it is excruciatingly miserable. It is excruciating when you, for me, part of my identity was really enmeshed with my business. And I've had a lot of insights. They have not come quickly. Everything is like in a slow cooker Everything is marinating, and of course, I think about it all the time. And But back in January, I decided I needed to have some hobbies for myself outside of my business. And so, I 
signed up for life is stressful, ride a horse lessons. And I'm still doing that. And um, take a deep breath, giving myself permission, even here now, like this is an out loud process, right? Like some of my inner parts are, you know, kind of being hard on me about Allison, you're out of flow. Yeah, I am out of flow. And that's okay. That's okay. And, and the next question is, what are you afraid would happen if we publish a podcast not in total flow state? And ultimately, those little parts are afraid that things won't work or will break down. So, let me see if I can... Um, let me see if I can be concise, which I think is a joke. Somebody gave me a compliment saying that I was concise last week, and I thought it was hilarious. For me personally... I never set out to be a personal brand. I was just Allison doing this work that she loves. And I never, I actually never set out to do work I love. I was raised in a school environment and community environment where women didn't have jobs and we were taken care of by rich men. And um, so I always thought my job would be to be a wife and mom. And it was something that I really looked forward to. And honestly, I went to graduate school because I hadn't met a husband in college. These are, you know, looking back, Allison was doing the best she could, but it's, it's not my favorite story. And when I got a divorce, when my husband left, I did not want to get a divorce. I did not anticipate getting a divorce. But when my husband walked out of the door on September 17, 2002, on a Wednesday afternoon, I had just gotten my real estate license. And real estate at a time when I felt broken and, and rejected to my core, unwanted, Real estate gave me, and being self-employed, and that working for me gave me something that felt good. And so, at a time when, when so much hurt was there, the thing that felt yummy and felt significant was this thing called work. And alongside that was my inability to have children. And I ended up falling in love with a wonderful man who I've been with for almost, well, I've been with him for 20 years. We've been married for this next year will be 18 years. And um, I knew when very shortly after dating him that he had had a vasectomy and that, um, you know, that he did have kids, but that, that if we were together, we wouldn't be having children, not to mention I've never physically been pregnant, which is a miracle in it itself. And so, um, I made some ex- assumptions about my fertility and to this day, um, never had a baby, never had a pregnancy. And that is the opposite of what I dreamed of. And so, business came and business gave me a lifeline and hope and something to be good at and something to focus on. And somehow along the way, You know, one of the things, I remember a financial decision I made, and I was talking to my brother about it. 
And um, it was a, it wasn't necessarily a bad financial decision, but it was something that I didn't know how this retirement system worked. And when I called him, I kind of expected to get on my ass and give me advice. And he just said, Allison, how would you know? Nobody ever taught you. And there are so many things that I was wise beyond my years. And then there are so many things where I have just been so young. And how would I know? And clearly, if you know me or watch me or listen to my podcast, you know that before authenticity was like a marketing gimmick, it's just a part of who I am. Like, I have less filters. I, I, you know, we just passed Halloween and I was reminiscing about Halloween with my therapist. Um, I think it was my therapist. I, I don't know. And I just remember, oh, no, it was one of my coaches. It was a coach I was working with with neurodiversity, right? So, remember, this is also another piece that has gone through. Last year, in 2022, in March, I was clinically with my psychiatrist diagnosed with ADHD. And since then, it's also very possible that there are, that I have autism, obviously very low support, but everything makes sense with those two diagnoses. And finding that out and having that lens put on my life, you know, and a lot of people are like, I want to focus on all the good things that come from that. And I love the good things, the pattern recognition, the brilliance, the sensitivity, all the things that come from that. But the difficulties that come with those two disabilities and living in this world, I have internalized, especially in the personal growth world, I had internalized those as character flaws in me, that something was wrong with me because I wasn't able to X, Y, Z. That is actually a technical part of these diagnoses and disabilities. And having the cognitive awareness is one thing, and with it comes relief and massive grief. And looking back and and saying, what was really me? Who am I really? And I see so many that combined with parts work. I, I would tell my therapist and my psychiatrist, listen, I had a therapist. I had a psychiatrist. I have a horse therapist. I have an autism coach and I have a coach. It's a little bit excessive. And I have required that much support, <laughs> which is funny because my whole life I've been supporting other people. And, and this last bug soup season, it was my turn to be held. And yes, this feels all mixed up. And that's, that's, I guess that's actually really good showing you the mix up of what bug soup can feel like. So, um, went through a couple of med changes this summer, um, went through ADHD, autistic burnout. And burnout is so difficult to feel. I've been through burnout once before with adrenal fatigue um, and, and burnout on top of over-identification with your productivity or income or lovability in business is a recipe for learning some really deep life lessons. Uh, last year, when my dad had a stroke, my mom and dad needed to move in May of last year. 
um, at that, uh, I had, I had an event and at that event, I had enrolled people into either one-on-one coaching or my leadership circle. And I remember at the time saying, you know, I've written enough business to carry me through the rest of the year. I don't really have to sell anything. And so in January of this year, you know, it's like, okay, it's time to get going. It's time to start selling. And the bug soup um, is still here. Life events. Listen, (laughs) y'all, I know I share a lot on social media, but I don't share my family shit. Y'all, y'all have no idea some of the stuff we're going through. And and I I want to say this, I have no idea what you're going through, right? We all have story. I have stories that are mine as hell, but there are family members that are struggling with things or that require support or that are enduring things that affect my husband and I. And those are not my stories to tell. And there, it's just a reminder, right, of that meme that says, you never know what somebody else is going through, right? And listen, none of y'all owe anybody your private stories. And I will probably continue to share from a very authentic place, but I've been working on understanding. I, I draw the picture of, and I, I've drawn it for over-functioning and under-functioning. I use watercolors and there's like two separate colors. And then if you do this technique in watercolor called wet on wet, the two colors blend messily together. But if you let one circle dry before you add the next circle, it creates a Venn diagram with clear boundaries and clear overlap. And in the past, my business and my identity and my enoughness And my significance has been tied up in this business. And there have been so many good things in this business. Like I really do say both Bill and I have had some, it sounds really dramatic, but we've had some, I thought I was dying moments recently. And I love my husband's peace. And he says, you know, I've lived a good life. I've loved my children. I have work that I've done and I'm really proud of. And of course, I don't want to die, but I'm, I'm at peace with myself if I die. And I feel the same way. I know that I have made a difference. And, you know, one of the little side note here, one of the questions I've been asking myself is like, why are we obligated to have this purpose or make a difference in the world? It does feel good, but I think there's a, I have a whole nother podcast and I really need to think through it is there is just some really toxic pressure in the personal development world that I don't think is nuanced enough that especially sensitive individuals anyway, um, I don't want to be somebody who's not sensitive. My therapist asked me that. He was like, I was talking about the concept of ignorance is bliss. And ignorance is bliss. It's easy to be happy when you don't connect in and when you don't feel and when you look away and when you bypass and when you disassociate and when you shove away. It's, It's easy, but it's also not easy. To suppress all, it's not healthy. Wasn't healthy for me. And so I've spent the last seven years learning how to go from 
I'm still a head-led person, but I have learned how to open up into my body. And in this reflection and reassessment of all the becoming that I've done, I was able to see patterns that I wasn't able to see before. And I have left relationships. I've had relationships leave me. I have seen where um, I've been used in my business. I've seen where my friendly, uh, my friendly brand persona, which is Allison, which is more girl next door and Sage, you know, one of the things, and I really do appreciate this compliment. This is what I want to be, but I didn't know how to make the clear boundaries. It's not anybody's fault. It's, it's not even my fault, but it is my responsibility to be boundaried. And when, you know, I've, I've changed some wording in my contract that says, even though I am friendly, this relationship is not in the role of your friend. And I think I have some opinions about the sales world and the coaching world and the business world that have taught us to, to I'm not saying we intentionally knew, but have taught us to manipulate relationships for business. And, and I've, I've grieved a lot of that and am working my way to figure out how do I do business without exploiting me, without exploiting my clients, without exploiting the earth or her resources. And part of that is boundaries on, on my end. And it's not just about what I say people can and can't do. Again, a whole nother podcast episode that maybe I'll record someday. Meanwhile, um, I'm going to horse lessons and I get out of the car at horse lessons one day and it's an hour and a half drive. It's now an hour and 10 minutes because my original barn shut down and I get out of the car to open the gate and my bladder explodes. And I'm not talking a bladder leak. I'm talking complete emptiness, no, no matter, like there's nothing I can do to stop it. And fortunately, because I was at the horse barn and nobody else was there, I was able, they have like a horse wash, like a car wash, right? Like they have a stall where you can spray down your horses. So I just went in and sprayed myself down. And um, so the first time it happened was at the horse barn. And the second time it happened was at a networking meeting. I went to a networking meeting in Austin and um, where... I don't know a lot of people. And when I got out of the car, this was only a 45-minute drive. When I got out of the car and stood up, I had to go to the bathroom. And I was like, oh, let me run in to go to the bathroom. I did not make it to the bathroom. And my bladder exploded again. So I went to the doctor. <laughs> or actually, I talked, to, I talked to one of my doctors. And she was like, oh, it might be this medicine you're on. And then I went for my annual exam. And I said, hey, by the way, this is happening. So long story short, she scheduled me for some other procedures and I have fibroids that I've never known about. And um, she was able to see on an ultrasound one really large fibroid. And then I had a CAT scan and we were able to see three really large, five smaller, and then a whole bunch of littles. And um, we made the decision that I would have a hysterectomy. And so, in eight days, 
from the recording of this podcast, I'm going to have a hysterectomy, removing everything except for my ovaries. I went through some testing to make sure it was safe to go through surgery. And there was a breast cancer scare that I, I always get called back for cysts, but I got called back for some calcifications and had a biopsy. That turned out fine. Um, thank goodness. But it was interesting at one point after my biopsy and before my results, I told my husband, I said, there is something weird about if I'm, you know, I'm, if this comes back at cancer, why am I thinking about my business and not my health? So I'm not saying I'm completely out of bug soup, but I do feel like the cocoon is starting to disintegrate. My wings are very wet, but I'm I'm starting to get a little bit more clarity. I'm starting to feel energy. And, and for the past, I don't know how long I have not felt like marketing. Like I feel very lost in how to do the business activities that generate business. I have five clients right now, but I have felt very lost for the first time in 20 years. In 20 years, I have never felt insecure or unable. Delivery, actually having my client sessions is that and goldfinches, lesser goldfinches in my backyard are the two things that just really gave me touchstones over the last, um, especially the last six months. And I didn't want to do my podcast and I didn't want to share my heart and show my work and I didn't want to sell anything. And part of that was the burnout. And I think it, anybody who, listen, whatever you do, when you go through a clinical burnout, and you are not able to do things that you've always been able and inspired to do, it's very confronting. I think that's a part of the bug suit. And so as I'm percolating, I'll begin to wrap this up. As I'm percolating, just to kind of bring you up to speed, listen. I'm I'm trying to figure out going forward, and I knew at some point I wanted to create some energetic separation between me and my business. I do not want to be a personal brand. Listen, hear me on this. My work has always been about self-trust. Always. I think back to the second grader, Allison, and the the traumatic religious stories that were told to me that parts of me believed, but there was a deeper part of Allison that trusted something different. And those two parts have been at war for a very long time. And those religious stories told me that if I wasn't good enough, I would be separate. I would be rejected. They created disconnection, but there have always been parts of me that has sensed a deeper connection. And that is the well of self-trust. And as I was speaking with my friend Cindy and my publisher Heather the other day in writing group, I said, what do you, what do y'all think I do? And Cindy said, you're a philosopher. And I said, yes, I am. And then I looked at Heather and I knew Heather's answer because she, shepherded me through my book and she was a client. She's known me since 2012. She said, your work's always been about self-trust. And I said, you're exactly right. And do you know that I went to my website, which is like 15 years old, poor little thing, and not a single category on self-trust. 
I mean, I've done episodes about it, but like all of a sudden, after all this percolation, that rose up and instantly there came the phrase self-trust studio. And I used to always, you know, the advice I gave people long ago was don't build your business under a name, build it under your name. Right. Like I got really swept up in this personal brand and I got really swept up in this being of who you be is your work. And there's some bullshit to that. That's not always healthy. That is not an absolute. Because what happens when who you be flatlines? That man, that that line works when everything's good. But what happens when your soul has to go through a season of bug soup. And I personally believe that bug soup seasons are a part of the generation of our lives. Like every single one of you watching now and listening have been through or will go through bug soup. And it may be external, circumstantial, or it may be internal. Or it may be a combination of both. And when your identity is affected, you learn, you know, when, when I made the decision and actually because of having cervical cancer when I was 28 years old, which was a a very early stage and they were able to cure it with surgery. But because of that, I always knew that I might need a surgeon someday because if, if it came back, I was going straight for the hysterectomy. And so many, when I came back to Austin, I have a hormone doctor that cares for me with her love and her compassion and her ooey gooey. And I have my surgeon who knows how to cut. And do you know, I didn't consider, I don't consider who my surgeon's, what her being is next week when I go and have a robotic hysterectomy. I consider her fucking skill. And one of the things I got frustrated with in my business was everybody was attracted to my being, but I have skills that were being overlooked or taken for granted. And I closed down a $250,000 a year business like an insane woman. That was not a smart financial decision, you don't realize. I closed that down to create some space to figure out for me, how do I move forward in my business with my skills being respected? God, that took my breath away. And when we build our businesses with our personalities, listen, I'm not going to be able to take my personality out of my business, but I am doing some things very specifically to right now to build some muscles in in strengths of learning how to talk about my skills and how they benefit my clients instead of um, my friend um, M. Shannon Hernandez talks about Uh, copywriting. And listen, I'm taking copywriting classes and all this other stuff, but something hit and, and she talks about different kinds of content. I know how to do connection content. I know how to share a story and connect with you as a human. But one of the things I'm not really good at is really demonstrating to you how I can help you 
in a way that compels you authentically, compels you with sovereignty, not manipulates you, but lets you know. I have a friend who reached out via text the other day. They were, they are approaching, were approaching a very difficult thing at their corporate job. And I shared some strategy with them, internal family system strategy. And I texted them on Monday morning and I said, thinking of you today. And they wrote back and said, I've already had, you know, I've already had the first half of the conversation and everything you shared with me is a game changer and absolutely changed the outcome. We didn't even have a coaching session. And I, I felt that like I have skills, but everybody sees this girl next door and wants the friend to have, everybody wants to be my next door neighbor. I listen, I wish all of you that want to be my next door neighbor would be my next door neighbor because I want them gone. God bless them into moving. And so I, um, I have added the name self-trust studio. And to me, self-trust, it's always about self-trust and to be able to walk away. This is the, this is the, like, to me, ego is a part. Ego is a part. (laughs) Ego is not, I don't, I don't resonate with ego the way a lot of people do. Ego is just one of my parts, but I have parts that are terrified. If I don't position myself as a life coach for business owners that I will not be able to make the amount of money that I need to make. And listen, y'all know I've, there was a few years in there. I was like, I want to be a million dollar coach. I don't want to do that. You know what I want to do? I want to make enough. My husband and I live below our means. And I'll tell you what, I have finally learned about compound interest a little late and I never had, I think this is what young brains do. We think it'll never happen to me. And it's so fascinating because this year with my five clients, I am able to eat, make, I cut, cut business expenses. I have been able to meet my lowered business expenses and my living expenses are very low <laughs> and my health expenses are more than both of those. So I've had to dig into savings. I've had to supplement everything with my savings. And that is not something I've ever, ever had to do before. And I feel very lucky and fortunate and blessed. And I'm working on not shaming myself for that. And I, I thank you, Shanti. She says, I think those fears are actually valid. And, um, The world is changing. And at the end of the day, I I knew in 2017 that I didn't want to be a business coach. I like business. I I enjoy like the the brain stimulation that business strategy and planning gives it. And I'm not saying that I would never talk about that with my clients, but with the adoption of self-trust studio. I am a self-trust and life coach for humans. 
I am about teaching. I'm a teacher. I'm a mentor. I'm a creative. I'm a writer who has lots of typos and uses the Oxford comma and run-on sentences on purpose. I'm, I'm a feral philosopher. One of my clients has invited me to come into their organization to teach internal family systems to their staff. And, and I'm warming up to it. But man, when they first did, I was like, I can't do that. They work with children and I cuss, right? Like I had to, I have to trust my feralness. I have to trust my autism self. I have to trust my ADD. I have to trust what supports me. I don't want to be in work just so I can charge gazillions of dollars. And I'm considering going to like an equitable pricing model, which I've seen the first place I saw it done and she saw it from somebody else was Simone Soul. But like having a rate for entrepreneurs and business owners and corporations and then having a rate for activists and teachers and people who just don't make that much money. I'm, I'm trying to figure that out right now. Because I don't want to be running around charging $20,000 for coaching anymore. That was one of the reasons I opened Soli's. I wanted to be able to do something like that. And, and I might even, I can't believe I'm saying this, there's a part of me that feels shame. Like I would love to have that community again, or not that community. I would love to have community again. And I had to step away from leadership to lead myself To get and be clear with what is mine and what's not. <sighs> Community based on who I am now. And, and that is multidisciplinary. Um, that is multidisciplinary. And, and one of the things I love, you know, business is a catalyst Business is always changing. My realtor friends, man, y'all are about to go through some, y'all are already going through some big changes, right? That's when I got into the business. It was when in 2000, started coaching realtors in 2008 during the, that, that, and they called it the shift at my company. And um, the whole purpose was to coach people through those changes. And one of the reasons I left and this is kind of what led me to realizing this so deeply um, Shannon Hernandez has a list of questions and it was like, why did you start your business originally? Why would I leave $250,000 of like in my face? Here's your clients at Keller Williams to start my own business. Y'all realize I left 74 clients for one. One came with me. Um, and the whole time was because I couldn't be in integrity with myself and coach to the client and what the client needs. I was required if I was a contractor, not an employee with that company to coach to the model. And recently I told the story and listen, I really appreciate it and really flattered. And a, a colleague of mine um, from those days knows for years, I got calls for years. I got calls after I left that company. For years, I got calls from both other people leaving that company and from um, 
and from people wanting me to come and create a coaching company. And recently in the middle of bug soup, I got this call and I said, Hey, let's hop on a call real quick before we do anything formal. And I said, I have two questions to ask you. I think what you're doing is great. I'm so excited for you. And listen, I've become pretty feral since I left that organization. And my heart is pure, but I will not mask for anybody. I I will not filter my voice. It doesn't mean I won't be respectful or whatever, but I will be me. Is that allowed? And am I allowed in doing this? Am I allowed to put the human being that is my client that if they hire me and pay me, or I'm training coaches to do this, that the client gets to be sovereign? Or are we just, you know, is, am I having to coach to profit? And she said, it's not a fit. And that's the way a lot of coaching goes in this industry, which is so confusing to me because... We're supposed to be like, that's the number one ethical thing is like the client is resourceful and whole. And so in whatever context someone comes to me, my skills are not, not be, I don't want to be a thought leader. I am not a fucking thought leader. I don't want to be an influencer. If I influence you to do anything, I want to influence you to build an inner relationship with yourself. And I... I've been um, I've been doing some of my own personal work and study around self-trust. And it's interesting when I look at self-trust out in the world, you know what? Everybody is like, oh, you got to be accountable to yourself. And how can you trust yourself if you don't behave? And I'm like, y'all are missing. You're missing. This is how my brain works. I'm like, that is like saying, oh, choose this car without looking at the fuel. And I'm, I'm seeing all these experts, famous ones, talking about self-trust and saying, you know, if you don't get up when you say you're going to get up and run, when you say you're going to, and if you're not accountable to yourself, and I'm going, that is not self-trust, that's self-control and self-manipulation, which is what the world has taught us, to be controlled. Behavior is an important part of the process, but the motivation of behavior must come from an attuned to self. You got to attune to the parts of you. You got to listen. You got to have a relationship. You know, they talk about attachment theory in in relationships. We got to have secure attachment with our own selves. And I don't know anybody that has secure attachment with themselves. I know people that are are building it. Shanti Zimmerman is here on my live stream. That woman has fought to build a secure, attuned self attachment relationship with herself. She is one of the only other people I know doing it out loud. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. It it doesn't feel as profitable at times because everybody wants, increase my bottom line. I get it, man. My bottom line is suffering. And I'm here to do self-trust. Also creativity. I can't wait until it is work. Shanti, and I just want to, I just want to honor you and commend you and thank you for holding up me. The other, the other little piece of this is we are not independent from the systems we live in. And the coaching world doesn't really honor that. The coaching world is positioned from a patriarchal, white, capitalist zeitgeist. 
and this bootstrap mentality. And listen, there's a time and place for bootstrap, but in general, the coaching world is ableist as fuck and it's classist and, um, So not only, you know, back in my 30s, I deconstructed religion. I'm still deconstructing the ways that religion shaped my brain and my beliefs and detached me from my relationship with self. Capitalism has detached me from my relationship with myself. Patriarchy has detached me from relationship with myself. The coaching industry has detached me from relationship with myself. And like Shanti, I'm going to take one small, strong, soft fucking step at a time to reestablish my relationship with myself. And I, I have this definition of attunement on my wall. It says attunement. It's by Francis Weller. Attunement is a particular quality of attention wedded with affection offered by someone we love and trust. And, and what's interesting is to me, the work of self-trust is the most community-based work there is. It's not individualist work. But how we be with ourselves absolutely is the core of how we be with everything on the outside of ourselves. And so, Self-Trust Studio, I'm not going to spend a dime (laughs) rebranding. It's almost energetic. But if you see Self-Trust Studio, that's my company. I am not my business. I'm Allison. I am so many things. And I'm not my business. And whether my new way of being and doing in business fails or succeeds. I'm lovable. I'm interesting. I'm skilled. I'm precious. And so are you. And so I am coming out of bug soup and then going into surgery. And so if I wasn't having surgery, I'd be like, all right, y'all, I'm back. I'm like, you know, and I feel like The universal source energy, whatever that is, is saying, Allison, slow, 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 slow. And so, um, I am taking wait list for clients. I'm not taking anybody new right now. Um, I do have a workshop this weekend. This, uh, you know, many of you will listen to this podcast after the workshop is over. It's in two days. I did not know if it would make it. I know it sounds really silly, but the other thing that has given me delight is Taylor Swift. And if you think Taylor Swift is all about her music, you are missing the point. <laughs> Taylor Swift is an epic story, just like your epic story and my epic story of becoming and self-trust. Oh, and so I'm doing a little creative workshop this weekend. It's the first time, like, genuinely I felt joy in selling something. Um, and up until this morning, I didn't know if it would make. I only had one person sign up for it. I've now had three, so I'll do it. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'd like to say I'm back, but I want to say I'm back strong and soft. I'm not back with a bang. I don't have that energy yet, but I'm going to be here softly walking forward. And eventually I will have services and offerings. I do have our event Um, next spring. It was cute because somebody was like, I want to come to your event. I'm trying to make a decision. What's it about? And I said, honey, I don't know. It's not until next May. (laughs) 
And I don't plan things that way. Yes, I reserve the dates because logistically you have to, and I've paid the hotel because logistically I have to. But one of the ways that I work is in my business that I am fortunate to be able to do is the truth rises up and the content rises up and and coagulates into forms in the same way this business shift rises up and it will look like a fast decision, but you don't see what's cooking in my oven. Slow simmering. So um, I'm back. If you are on TikTok and you see my stuff there, I would appreciate comments and likes. You don't have to share anything, but comments and likes help boost that. I'm going to be doing some stuff on YouTube. I'm going to be doing some different stuff on different platforms. Um, yeah, thank you all so much. And thanks for those of you who were here live. It felt good to be together. And I appreciate the encouragement. I need encouragement. I, that is the one big thing I have learned over the last three years with my therapist. Like I'm, I'm allowed to have my own needs for support instead of being taken from. God bless us over givers and people, recovering people pleasers. Peace out, y'all. I'm going to go have lunch with a friend and I will see y'all online. How can people be encouraging? Amy, you always are. Thank you so much.